Good morning, church family. My name is Bella Martinez, and I'm a covenant partner here at FPC. Today in worship, we celebrate the transforming power of having certainty in the scripture. God's spirit wants to use God's word to bring abundant life to God's people. God's grace invites us all to turn from trusting the word of the world to have full confidence in God's word to us. Join me, please join me in reading Luke 1, 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed God to me also, having followed all things closely from some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Thank you, Bella. And if you have a Bible, I encourage you to keep it open. We're going to look at a few other things before we unpack the word, but I promise you, we're going to unpack the word today. Uh, it is a new year, but we're still in Luke. If you were with us during Advent, you know we used Luke uh, to celebrate, to prepare our hearts and worship for the first coming of Christ, knowing he will come again. Uh, last week, uh, we looked at uh, Jesus in the temple. We received the invitation of a new year to be in the uh, presence of our loving Father and through Christ to grow in wisdom and in stature. Uh, and today, uh, one way we really want to unpack that is through establishing that we have a certainty in what we know and in, in God's revelation for us. And, and in the hope today uh, is that we will receive a, a new confidence in God's word, uh, a proper confidence that leads to a prosperous life. His spirit truly wants to nourish your life uh, so that it will be fruitful and full for him. God's word makes a lot of internal promises. It says of itself that it's more valuable than gold. It says of itself that it is more sweet than the sweetest dessert you, you love to have, the ice cream. It's sweeter than whatever you had. That God's word is your refuge. That God's word is solid ground. Even in the storms of life, it will not be moved and you can rely on it. It is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. It will, God uses it to lead us. And that when we abide in the word, of Christ and him in us, that we will have a fruitfulness and a fullness and an abundant life uh, that our hearts are hungering for. This is the intimate invitation from a God who loves you ridiculously. I mean, like if you knew how much he loved you, you would just be like, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. Uh-huh, it is. It's a ridiculous love. And somehow even more ridiculous is how children of God if you're not a child of God, if you don't have faith in Jesus for salvation, then God's word probably is not even a suggestion for you. Understand. But people that belong to Christ by grace, and interestingly, we don't respond to the intimate invitation of our loving Heavenly Father to fully have confidence in God's word. We actually have confidence more so in the word of the world and the word of our culture or in nothing at all. 
I want to illustrate that a little bit. Um, I'm going to use some data that comes from mid last year because these graphs are better. Uh, know that everything's uh, increased in this. So uh, whose word do we listen to? If you, if you look at this, there's now, this is from July 2022, there's now over 8 billion people in the world. Uh, it, crazy, 67% of those people have cell phones. Isn't that amazing? And, and 63, probably 64% now, have internet access and more than half the world's population actually is on social media. That is unbelievable. And how much time we spend on social media? Well, mid last year, next slide, uh, we see that in quarter one of 2022, the average amount of time that people spend on social media was two and a half hours a day. All right. And I know you know what yours is because every Sunday you get the screen time update. That's right. I know it. And it tells you everything. It's like built into accountability. And maybe you actually listen to it. And you're like, well, thank you for letting me know. But probably you're like, shut up, iPhone. I don't want to know how many hours a day I spend on social media. I don't know how many days a month I spend on social media. I definitely don't want to know how close I am to spending, get this, weeks, a year on social media. Which ones are the most used? I'm sure you can see that really, really clearly. Uh, The most used is TikTok, uh, and that averages about 24 hours a month. YouTube is second, averages about 24 hours a month. Then you got Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, and a few others. The point in sharing all these with you is to illustrate the amount of time we spend listening to the word of the world, social media. It is at least 10% of our time that we spend reinforcing social media. Now, you know, I'm not saying it's bad. Don't hear what I'm not saying I am saying that we need to be very, very, very aware of the word that we are certain of. Here's why. Next slide. You know, the next step of blockchain technology is called self-sovereign identity. And the blatant promise of that is that you can be omnipresent. (laughs) Now, laugh. I checked, there's only one person who's omnipresent, and it's not you. It's God. But it's so interesting. I'm not saying that internet's bad. I'm not saying social media's bad. I am saying it's starting to sound a whole lot like the original temptation in the garden. Where when the serpent came to Adam and Eve, what did he say? Question God's word. Did God really say this? The doubt of God's word and the confidence in the word of the world was the original temptation. And not only that, Satan made a promise. He said, if you take the food that you desire and you eat it, take a bite. That's the 1977 logo of Apple. Not their original logo, by the way. It's the 1977 version of the one we know today. He says, but if you eat it, you will be like God. So it's just appropriate to say that there's some similar temptations that are happening here that happened then. Now, before you get 
all frustrated. Oh my gosh, Pastor Mitchell said, don't use the internet. Didn't say it. All right. The Roman Empire used Roman roads to expand their pagan empire. God used a redeemed people to use those same roads to expand the gospel and build the church. God's in the business of redeeming this stuff. But if we don't guard our hearts, we're going to miss the invitation that God wants to give. We have to ask this question, have to ask, how is it working for us? You know, a generation ago, no one would have been able to even conceive of this. Now, it's totally normal. And the implications of prioritizing and giving confidence only to the word of our culture, 10% of our time, it's actually killing us. Next slide. This is the same data. I know you can read it and you're like, wow, that's fascinating. I can't read any of it. It's okay. You can find it on, online. It comes from uh, the Mental Health Institute, the National Mental Health Institute, 2022 20, study. We have a mental health ministry team. We prioritize holistic gospel application, our minds, our hearts, our spirits, physically. But a few highlights from this data. One in five uh, people, adults, last year experienced mental health illness. That's 50 million Americans. 60% of our youth last year, that were, uh, this was a huge survey, 60%, six of 10 said that they experience major depression. One in 10 don't have private insurance. Suicide rates are skyrocketing. And we lament the fact that Texas, and this is a graph that I'm not going to show you, but I can give it to you, is fifth from the bottom. We're the 45th worst state in providing mental health care. And the number one data point for that is that we don't have access to affordable mental health care for adults or children, for that matter. A lot of people are doing stuff about it. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I, anything we eat, it's got nutrition facts on us. Anybody that rides in a car, we've got kids that have car seats. Every adult has to wear a seatbelt. Every fence has a, every pool has a fence around it. But man, there's just no whole bars with the internet. Anything you want, just go for it. But here's the truth. When we take the word of the world of our culture with the, the, as the ground that we put most confidence in, that is, you are actually worth how many likes you get on a post. You are actually as significant as how many snaps you get. That the, the news that matters in the world is what you're gleaning from Facebook. And that moves our emotions more than the headlines of heaven. When our emotions and our identity rise and fall, when our escape from life is TikToking our blues away, when we look to social media or the internet for things that only God is designed to give us, security, identity, strength, life, and joy, that is when it becomes toxic. In all of life, a good thing that becomes the highest priority and a defining thing becomes a bad thing, even a toxic thing. And so it's important that we are aware that God, from his love, gives us a better option. 
But there's another graph I want to show you in another picture. Unfortunately, the church is ignoring it. Last year, Gallup did a survey, and it's really hard to read that, but you see that blue line that's going down? Y'all see that? 20% of regular churchgoers, people that define themselves as Christian, 20% said that they actually believe the Bible is God's word. As the use of social media increases, so the view of the authority of Scripture decreases. One in five people, two out of ten, or let's say it this way, eight out of ten people don't believe the Bible is God's word. How is it working for us? It's, it's turning into craziness. You know, our country used to celebrate the authority of God's word. For over a hundred years, people swore into office by putting their hand on what they considered was a standard of truth, the standard of justice, and taking oath, saying that I swear that by the standard, I'm going to lead and guide. The first time that was broken was completely haphazard because William McKinley was shot in 1901. And when Roosevelt was being sworn into office, he was somewhere where he didn't have a Bible, but he had to be president when he walked into the situation. And so he took the oath without the Bible. And even after that, it was generally the standard. But this week, as Congress was sworn in, we had a really remarkable new step. You know what it was? Next picture. On the swear-in table, for the first time, someone was sworn in on a Superman comic book. Hey, you know what? It's kind of funny, but it's super sad, isn't it? That the congressman from the 42nd District in California, when he swore in, this is the table, and you can see, I mean, you've got the, you've got the Quran up there, you've got the Jewish uh, Hebrew Bible, there's a Book of Mormon, there's older Bibles, there's versions in the New Testament, but it's just craziness when people are being sworn in as a standard of justice on a comic book. But it's happening. And unfortunately, our life and our society is becoming laughable. Because we've put our certainty in things that aren't the Lord. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And we're going to rapidly work through this test and ask God's Holy Spirit to speak to us. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises of your word. That your love wants to give us life. That you want to give us hope. Uh, that the headlines of heaven are, are more sufficient. That what we cannot find online that we're designed to find in you, Lord, you offer through um, Scripture. So we ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us, that your love would be real and your word would be inviting. Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to run through these four verses really quick, and we're going to we'll look at them if you have your Bible open. Uh, the first thing I want to establish is this, uh, that God's word is written by God's spirit. The process of this is described in 1 Peter chapter 1, 2021, and all through Scripture. Uh, but God says this, it should be up there, uh, that knowing, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes by someone's own interpretation. No prophecy is ever produced by the will of a man, but men spoke from God as they were carried by the Holy Spirit. All through Scripture, it's written by uh, God's Spirit, through people that God chose. That's the product. The product of this comes from 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, says Paul, is God-breathed, breathed out by God, all of it. It's profitable for teaching, rebuke, correction, training in righteousness. It is for everything in life. 
This is God's word. This is not some AI technology. It is the ultimate intelligence that is revealing to us who he is, who he's called us to be, and how to live life. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of life. And he wants to produce fruit in our life through his word that all of our hearts are hungering for. How much of our culture is hungering for more love? How much of it's hungering for more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more gentleness and self-control? Where do we find that? Concrete confidence in God's revealed word to his people. This is the invitation. Grace invites us to be restored and renewed in this world. And we're going to see in this passage that God's spirit uses real people to speak what is spirit inspired. It's real history. So let's dig right in. Verse one, look at what it says. Somehow my Bible flipped to Mark um, through all of that transition. Bella read this verse. And as much as I have undertaken, right, Luke's, to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, verse two, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. This is real history. Luke wrote this before 65 AD, very early, not long after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended into heaven. We know it was 65 AD before that because he also wrote Acts and he didn't record the major persecution that Nero did to Christians in 65 and that surely would have been in Acts. So that's the latest it could have been, uh, but it was probably earlier. And you see that it was attested to by real eyewitnesses. Uh, he, he says it here that these are eyewitnesses uh, and ministers of the word that delivered to us. Luke himself was not an apostle, but he traveled with Paul and other apostles. You can go to the end of book of Acts and you begin to see him using the word we. He's in there, and even the, the shipwreck in Malta. Luke was there. He was, he was an eyewitness to much as he traveled with eyewitnesses to everything. And he recorded what these eyewitnesses said happened and the ministers that were preaching it. Luke was in the mix. And in scripture, uh, this idea of eyewitness, uh, it's a standard, a standard that we need to celebrate and embrace. And you'll see why it makes us distinct. Peter uses it. Second Peter uh, 1.16. Uh, Peter uh, is marking the authority of his word by saying that he, uh, he we're already uh, to Second uh, Peter. It says that he was an eyewitness of Jesus's majesty. And then secondly, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 7, when he's talking about the reality of the resurrection, resurrection 15, 3 to 7, he says, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Listen, he was buried, raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Listen to this. And then he appeared to Cephas and then the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive. The eyewitness account adds to the authenticity. Paul says, look, all these people saw Jesus rise. They're still alive if you want to ask them. No one refuted. So the letters and the, the, the stuff circulated. Here's the deal. If you don't believe in the authority of this book, and if you don't believe in the history of Jesus dying and rising again, then you need to offer a different explanation for the birth of the church. It is sociologically impossible that the church was born unless someone, Jesus Christ, actually rose from the grave. And we can, I'm happy to give you more on that if you really want to wrestle with it. 
But the priority of eyewitnesses is not something that Peter uses, Paul uses, Luke uses, New Testament writers use, but it sets apart Scripture in general. All through Scripture, in the Old Testament, when Moses recorded the words of God, he went publicly to the tent of meeting and the glory of God fell. Or he went publicly to the top of Mount Sinai and the people saw the fire and the thunder. God communicated and came down with tablets written in stone by the finger of God. It was super public. And this eyewitness reality is totally distinct. The other books that were on that table, the Book of Mormon, for instance, Joseph Smith, a, a known druggie went off by himself and when he was by himself, he had uh, uh, some angel appear to him and, and read Tablet of Gold. So he wrote it down and now we've got the Book of Mormon. That, By the way, its history is impossible. Just follow the DNA of the argument. Or Islam, that Muhammad went into a cave by himself, an unknown person, pretty much, and he came out with the Quran that is so full of contradictions, it's, it's remarkable. And then in fact, that if you follow the logic of the Quran and it's teaching about Jesus, the Quran itself actually testifies that Jesus is the son of God and rose from the grave. You see, the Christian faith, the Bible is unique. It's not one book among other books. It is the book of God revealed to his people and it's validated by history and eyewitness accounts. And it was really ordered, says Luke in verse four. We don't have time. We're not gonna go into the canonization, but you see that picture on there? That picture means that I have stuff prepared to teach you about the canonization of scripture. <laughs> but I'm not gonna torture you. I will say this, that everything that's in scripture is authenticated as apostolic in the New Testament. It comes from someone who, who encountered Jesus personally, either like Mark, who was recording Peter's words, or Luke, recording eyewitness accounts, or John and Matthew, who walked with Jesus, or Paul, who was like one untimely born. All of it had to be orthodox to the teaching, had to be Christocentered and Christocentric and demonstrated to be uh, held, uh, be filled with the Spirit. And then third, Catholicity. There had to be a, um, uh, a sharing of the word in the early church. And honestly, friends, listen to this is early, early, in the early 100s, 24 of the 27 books were traveling around in a codex. They were already accepted as standard. And there were other books that were accepted as false. The Gospel of Jude, it bore an apostle's name, but it wasn't. The Shepherd of Hermes, there are others. People knew whether it was apostolic or not. The canon formed early, and it speaks to the orderliness of Scripture. I have lots of people who ask me about this, and I point them to a simple blog. It's called Canon Fodder, and it's a phenomenal blog if you want to know more. Um, it's really amazing. But the point that Luke says, he says he writes this orderly account, verse 4, so that you, Theophilus, will be certain of the things that you've been taught. Theophilus, who was he? Uh, we don't know exactly who he was. He could have been a high official. He could have been the patron of all of Luke's worth, providing uh, the livelihood he needed to write the history of the early church and Acts and the gospel of, of Jesus. It could have been him. But the point is this, Luke wrote this so that he could know it for certain. And this word certainty, it isn't what we get from the chat GPT, okay? And this is, this is the highest level of intelligence that comes from the Lord. Uh, and, and the word communicates uh, in, in itself the assurance and reliability 
of what we've been taught. It is this full leaning, 100% without a shadow of a doubt assurance that this is God's word for God's people. And all through history, the power of this word to transform lives is evidence. Uh, Augustine, uh, who was a church father, it was one verse from Romans 13 that changed his life. And it really changed the trajectory of history in the early centuries since Christ. Uh, Martin Luther, one word, one verse from Romans 1, one verse from Romans 1 completely changed his life. And honestly, that led to the Reformation in Luther's day, but it also, it changed all of Western civilization. The power of God's word, it, it could be Hilda, the prophetess, who uh, waited in the temple, her, her one hope, or Anna, who had the one hope in God's word that changed their lives and changed the world. This confidence that God wants us to have through the authenticity of his word is described as certainty, that we really, really believe it. So much so that it is the word that we meditate on the most. It is the word that defines us the most, that it's the word that directs us in all that we do. And in this word and studying this word, the certainty and total reliability is the word where we really look for life, trusting that it is alive and active and the same spirit that wrote it is still using it in our lives. The same spirit that wrote scripture through people is still working through scripture in the lives of all who believe. So what does it look like when someone is certain? Certain, real certain. Here's what it means. It means that when Jesus offers you peace, that we take up his invitation to cast our cares upon him because he believes. I mean, he, he, we believe that he loves us like that. Jesus wants to give us peace and take our anxieties. What does it mean to have confidence? It means when we're grieving disappointed and sad that we really believe that God loves us enough, John 11, that he meets us and he weeps with us, but he does so in a way that gives us hope, saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. Even though you die in me, you shall not die, but live for eternity. What does it mean to have concrete confidence? It means we believe that the only way we can know God personally is through faith alone that we're saved by grace alone because of the steadfast love of God alone. It's not of works. It's not of performance. It's a free gift of God. And when we believe, we have a secure identity. We don't need to have our identity externally defined by our performance, by our popularity, by our productivity, our position. We don't have to have that externally because when we have concrete confidence in God's word, we know we're children of God, that we are secure no matter what is going on out there. Jesus says that when you build your life upon his teaching, that even though there's storms rage, everything changes, you can be secure on the rock that is his teaching, that is his word. Concrete confidence, true hope is really believing that God's word is our refuge and our strength. It is really believing, Romans 8.1, that you are not defined by your greatest failure, 
that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It's really believing the end of Romans 8, that nothing can separate you from God's love. It's really believing what Jesus says in Matthew 28, I will never leave you or forsake you. You are never alone when you belong to Christ. It is really, really believing that God's spirit is inside of his people. John 14, he is your comforter. John 15, in Christ we can abide and live and bear fruit. It's really believing. John 10, that Jesus is a good shepherd, that you might not know the future, but you trust the one who's leading you, that he will protect you. And no matter what you're going through, even if it's a valley of the shadow of death, he's leading you to green pastures and still waters. It's really believing it, man. I mean, this is a God that loves you ridiculously. And he doesn't dispose of us because we have given his word to Heisman. No thanks. I'm going to define myself. I'm going to, to, to entertain myself, escape myself. I'm going to find my emotional stability and security in the headlines that I read all in this technology that's in my pocket. Thanks for the suggestion, Jesus. Even though we do that to him all the time, he stands right there. I love you. I'm here for you. My word, let it be your strength. My word, let it be your hope. My word, let it be your security. Let my word shepherd you and lead you. Let my word be the strength that sustains you. Let my word give you the life that you're longing for. Come to me, all who are weary. I will give you rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, my teaching. My yoke is light. He wants to restore and renew. And to be certain is just to say, Jesus, I believe. I'm going to meditate on your word. I'm going to read your word and study it. I'm going to trust your word. And instead of looking other places, I'm going to turn from those things. And I'm going to turn and find life here. Not that we worship the Bible, we don't. We worship the God of the Bible who demonstrates himself as the word made flesh and he wants to embrace you. This is why we come to the table, frankly, because God's word invites us to. God's word wants God's people to feast on God's grace because he knows we forget. <laughs> we, we believe other louder, more consistent words and he, he, in these still moments, he wants to remind you that all of his faithfulness and love is made clear in the work of Jesus and that we can feast on that. In, in the poverty of faith, we can come feast on Christ's faithfulness. In the poverty of our righteousness, we get a chance to come feast on Christ's righteousness. In the poverty, the, the death that we feel like we are living in this world, we can come feast on the life, the eternal life in Christ. That in our sin, we can come feast on his forgiveness. And we can be sure that his love could, accepts us because it was the night that Jesus was betrayed in our place that he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. <laughs> and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant of my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. As long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he will come again. 
And until then, we know he's locally present at the right hand of the Father, but spiritually present in these elements, and he longs to nourish his people with his grace. If you're not a Christian here today, we love you. We're glad you're here. We want to pray for you. This is a family meal. If you know Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've trusted him with your life, he wants you to come feast on his grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your work. We thank you for your love. We ask that you would set this bread and cup apart from its common and ordinary uses and that you would fill it with your spirit and nourish our hearts. We thank you that we can trust you with the burden of our sin. We thank you that we can trust you with the burden of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you from the brokenness of our world. Lord, we ask that you would uh, redeem the difficulties of our lives and that you would renew the world around us in all of its brokenness and that you would restore to us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Lord, we thank you that we can belong to you as children and that we can be secure in your love, reminded through the way you taught us to pray, saying together the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to ask uh, people to come forward, our servers to come forward. Uh, and for you to take the elements, go back to your seat. We will partake of them together.